Hello, and welcome back to Hollywood at Home with the Creative Coalition, hosted by Robin Bronk. It's your moment to hear the unfiltered backstory of Hollywood's biggest stars. So sit back, relax, and listen in, as today we have the pleasure of welcoming multi-talented performer Adam Lambert to the hot seat. It's really great to meet you, and congrats. You had a nice great you. at Sundance, Fairyland. And you want to talk to us, I know it's not even out yet, it won't be in, but just talk a little bit about it. Yeah, I, I was so excited that Andrew Durham called me to be a part of it. I'm playing a little part, but it was when I read the book, which is a memoir by Alicia Abbott, I was so into it. It was such an interesting story. Um, you know, you have a, a father, her father, that she wrote it about. His wife dies tragically in a car accident, and he moves to San Francisco with his daughter. And it's, you know, the 1970s, and the gay liberation movement is well underway and he sort of is coming to terms with the fact that he's gay and so there's this parallel coming of age story between the two of them um set to that backdrop and it's it's just a really beautiful kind of human story about family you know a parent and their child no matter what your identity is is a special thing and it and it's especially hard if it's a single parent it adds some other challenges and and then when the AIDS epidemic hits, that puts a spin on the entire relationship. So it's a really, it's a really beautiful story. And, and responsibility and parental responsibility. And at what point are you a human and what point are you a parent? And yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good point that definitely they, he's definitely sort of progressive parenting, you know, especially for that time period. So it is interesting. Well, so let's talk, you know, let's talk about you. So you're a whatever they call it, triple threat, double hitter. I know it's some sports reference. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so, so you grew up in Indianapolis. No, I was only oh. born there. I grew up in San Diego. Oh. Yeah. I have two kids who went to University of Indiana. I'm like supporting the state, which is, you know, a little weird, but it's a great school. <laughs> I, it's funny because everybody always brings up Indiana and I'm like, I know nothing about it. I was there for like six <laughs> months of my life, you know. <laughs> And so you started out your arts career as a singer. Well, I actually started, I was in theater first. Um, you were a theater kid. Yeah, I'm a theater kid from childhood. And we were doing musicals. So obviously we were, so, we were all singing. But um, a few years into that, I just really, I wanted to get better at the singing. And so I started taking lessons. And then that just kind of, that sort of became my, I think my strength you don't realize you're good at something until some people start telling you you're good at it, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it just became my thing for sure. How old were you when you did the American Idol audition? I was 27. So wait, so Chase, so now you're in high school, you're doing theater, you're doing singing. And what were you doing between high school and? Uh, everything. Okay. <laughs> what did I not do? I, I, um, I was going to go to college. I, I was enrolled in a California state school in Fullerton um, to do a BFA in musical theater. That was what I wanted to do. And I, I, right at the time that I started classes, I was cast in a musical down in San Diego, which is like a semi-professional production of Grease. <laughs> well, what did you play? And I was playing Duty, singing Those Magic Changes. And so I... You know, it was Pacific Light Opera. I was getting equity oh, points, which, which is the, big. well, it's, it, it wasn't that big, but it's, it's a beautiful theater down there. And it's just, they, they have like two or three professional 
performers per show. Everybody else is sort of amateur, but you can collect points to try to join the union for, for performers. And so I was, you know, making my way inch by inch to, to start that process. And I just sat in class in the midst of like heavy rehearsals about to open this show. And I was like, wait a minute, I'd rather just do this. I don't really want to sit in a classroom anymore. Um, and it's not to say that I wouldn't have learned a lot probably in the educational system, but I just felt like for so me, the headline of this podcast is not going to be Adam Lambert is against college education. I promise <laughs> Exactly. As many more listeners as I could. Be. Yeah. I mean, like, look, it's, I'm not like denouncing university I, education. I'm I'm an experienced person. I want to learn on the job. So I just started doing that. And so I was doing a lot of theater uh, for years, which is funny because musical theater in LA is sort of an oxymoron. Um, you know, it's, it's all based in New York, really most of musical theater, but did I was kind of. Did you want to go to New York or you were, I mean. I, 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 ha- I did. I had a fantasy of moving to New York, but I was a little intimidated both financially and professionally. I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to swing it. I need more experience. I want to go out there with like a reason to be there. So I just kept doing shows here and kind of working my way up. And I did a musical version of the 10 commandments here with Val Kilmer as Moses. It was very, it was a very interesting, odd little production, but that got interesting audience too, who would go. Yeah. Have your Val Kilmer fans and your body. Yeah. It was at the Kodak. Well, now the Dolby, it's like where they do the Oscars. That's the theater. So strange. And at that point I'd become union and I had been doing shows. And so I, um, I got some notice from that. And then I got cast in wicked, the musical. What were you Uh, doing? I was the understudy for Fiero for the guy that plays the, you know, the, the prince. So I did that on the road. I did the first national tour of that. And then I did it here in LA. And all the while I slowly started kind of becoming into this idea of being my own artist and creating my own music. And I started, you know, working in studios here and there doing some demos and I had a band for a minute. What was and so I was kind of like doing these two things side by side. Um, what, was, what was the band? What was your first band thing? It was called the citizen vein. Oh, that's good. Was it V E I N or V A I N? V-E-I-N. Oh, even more interesting. Triple meanings. Yeah. Um, you know, we were, you know, I hate to say this, but we weren't very good. Um, <laughs> but you, but asked, did you know that you weren't good? That's also an art, you know. Being I knew I wasn't, you know, at that point, I think I was just, part of me just wanted to like be this rock star fantasy. Like it was part of this like fantasy of getting on stage with the band and but it was a really good learning process, you know, and we did, we only did a handful of gigs. We didn't put anything out, but it was cool. It was, it was learning. Um, and then, yeah. And then, you know, I, I kind of got to the point where I realized that nothing was going to happen in my life unless I like really took a chance and dove into it. And, uh, you know, I just started saying yes to everything, you know, that point where you yeah, realize that you're saying yes. Yeah. So I just started saying yes to everything. And a friend was like, why don't you audition for idol? And I was like, okay. And so I did, and it, I did not for a second expect it to be what it was. I thought, what, I, what did you wait? So, how long did you prepare? I tell me about about that again. Not like you've never been asked that, but I'm fascinated by it. Well, it was you know, it's the full process. I I went up to San Francisco with two friends. We sat in a an arena for hours to get seen by like the the like production assistants and then you make that cut and they send you to like one person above them. And then I made that cut. And then wait, wait, and what, what did you say? What was your, I don't remember what I sang at that point. I don't remember actually. It might've been Bohemian Rhapsody at that point. I don't, I don't remember those yeah. early, to be honest, but 
I, it was either that or a Michael Jackson song. And then I made it to the next round for the producers of the show. And then going into the, the next round, which is the one that we all see on TV in front of the TV judges, I had to tell, you know, I had to be a complete amateur. I couldn't have any professional representation or contracts in play or anything. So I had to quit my job at Wicked. Wait, so you had, so you go through like six different auditions and at yeah, that point the whole- you're making the choice. Wow, that that took a lot of courage. Yeah, and quitting the job was scary because it was like that was like my job, you know, and my how my, did you how, how did you how did you have that courage to do that? Well, to be fair, I'd been doing the show for two years in LA and I was kind of burnt out on it. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't it was a good excuse to like have to leave, but it was still it's like a oh, girl, man, she's green. It's yeah, exactly. So, I, but it, it's but it's a job, you know. And as, as you know, as we get it's older, a paying well, professional job. Yeah, yeah, you know. And every year you get older, you're like, I need to pay the rent. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I, I I quit, and then you know, and the rest everyone saw on TV pretty much. Well, you know? And how? What was the time though between the time that you got your finalist at that point, or your? Well, at that point, you're in part like there's a bunch of us, and then they do like a Hollywood week, and that that was like. I forget the number that they brought it down to, but they go from like, I want to say it was like 80 people or something down to like 13 of us. Wow. Were you? Oh, wait, you know, they go to, it goes to 24. I think it was like 200 to 24. And then you do one live performance and then it goes down to, then it went down to half of that. How did you keep your mojo going? How did you not stress out? Of, I mean, you might have stressed out about everything or did you just like, this is all part of the adventure? I mean, I think at that point I'd had enough experience that I kind of was able to trust my instincts and sort of what my voice was going to do. You know, I think if I had auditioned earlier, I don't know. I don't know if I would have been ready, but I think at that point I was very like, okay, I can do this. You know, I was still, I I still may be nervous to be on TV, of course, you know, but. How many seasons in was America? It was like, it was eight seasons in already or. Yeah, that was season eight. 2009. I mean, I am like an Adam Lambert stalker. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> weren't you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> so now you're at, in the final number of contestants. How many did you perform? Uh, I forget how many we go was. I mean, it was like seven the first weeks. One, the, fir- the first time. So you do. Oh, the audition. No, no. Your first televised. Oh, the live. Yeah, that was, um, I chose Satisfaction by uh, Rolling Stones. Why? Said these songs that I liked that I thought, you know, to, actually, I do know. To be fair, I realized having watched the show for years that there was sort of like one from every genre and identity sort of on the show. It kind of like, it seemed very obvious to me, like the formula. Uh, the year before me was David Cook and he was great. And he had done great with all these rock songs, you know, reinventing them. And I was like, Okay, I'm going to kind of go with that strategy then. And I knew that there were, you know, I knew plenty of classic rock songs. That was sort of what I'd been doing. And I just went with that direction. You know, when you see the show, you know, they cut it, they edited it to make it, you know, the how much, how true was yours to what really was happening? Even like when they're showing the different part, you know, how you prepare and all that, were you, were you aware that you're, you got to be a little bigger for the cameras or? You just did your thing and they would edit it however they wanted. I mean, most of what was being filmed was the performance. You know, we did, there wasn't a whole 
wasn't much behind the scenes, really. We did these little like interview packages where you would right. like do an interview, basically, which I could do that. That was easy. Yeah, it was pretty kind of straightforward. Did you coaching for your interview package or did that you'd be you? No, no coaching, no media training at that point. Um, I think, you know, looking back on it now, I think the whole thing is a test. The whole, the whole thing, every bit of it, you know, they, they had people from the management company that the, the idols were, were sort of assigned to upon leaving the show if they wanted to be signed or if the management company wanted to sign them. They had people from that management company sort of fly on the wall the entire time observing. So I really think the hoops that you jump through in that show are to kind of see if you can handle it, if you can hack the business, you know? And how did you feel? Did you ever feel like you were like, what am I doing? I, I felt confident because I had, I was from LA. I had been in the entertainment industry for professionally for 10 years already and kind of like done a lot of gigs and professional jobs. So I, I felt like I could tell right away. I'm like, oh, this is to sort of separate the people that aren't going to be able to be professional. And what was the period of time from the time you had to quit your day job to your finale? How long was that? Few months, few months. It was probably about a five, six month process total. And knowing that it was, I mean, it was this finite period of time. Were you thinking, okay, what am I going to do after? I mean, if you didn't win, if you didn't, you know, were you starting to think about, oh, I got to start auditioning again, or I got to keep my eye on this? To yeah, I mean, in the beginning, I thought, okay, you know, counting down any moment now, this is this uh, this whole thing is not going to happen anymore. So I got to. I don't know. I think at that point I was like, maybe I'll move to New York. Finally. I think I had that in, in the back of my head. I think I was ready to give it a shot, but it all happened. And would you say that, I mean, you're, you're now as I said, acting, you're, you know, you, you're doing filming, you're doing, you're in queen, but it sounds like is, is music, is music your number one? Yeah. I think it's my A legendary. Thanks. Uh, Thank you. I think, I think if I'm going to look at all the, my skills. I think that's probably where I have the strongest skill set, I guess. I don't know. I mean, yeah, but I, I, I think that's kind of the chapter that I'm in right now is also recognizing where else I'm creative and being able to flex that as well. And, you know, the acting thing is I'm really interested in creating, writing, designing things. I mean, I'm, I want to get involved in as many different projects as I can. Talk about, you have a new album. Yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, it's called High Drama, and uh, it's an album of covers, actually, which um, sort of in a weird way is a full circle to what I did on Idol. And and like on Idol, you know, I used to take songs and kind of change them up drastically, which I also did for Cher, for uh, the Kennedy Center performance of Believe. So, you know, and that's always gotten like a really strong reaction from people. So, you know, I'm I'm actually working on another project right now that has a much longer timeline, and... I was like, look, I want to, I want to put some music out. And after, you know, discussing it with my team, we realized, you know, doing covers would be a quicker turnaround because all the material is all secure and we know they're good songs. And so the real creativity behind it would be figuring out ways to change the songs and make them me, which felt really like a good challenge. Tell me about some of the songs that are your favorites Yeah, um, and and your twist on them. We've released some of them so far. We've released um, Holding Out for a Hero, which I took and kind of turned it into like a 70s glam rock thing. Uh, we've put out Ordinary World, which is sort of haunting and ethereal version of the song. Uh, Getting Older just came out. That's a, a, it's a Billie Eilish song. But what mm-hmm. we did 
was kind of give it like a 70s pop thing, like kind of Queen, Bowie vibe. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we also put out uh, Mad About the Boy. That was the first one to come out, uh, oh, which is a jazz. So yeah, it's, it's been, a, I'm, I'm just excited. It's everyone that hears the album tends to say like, oh, I was surprised by this. I was surprised by that. You know, what's so great is because I was, I've been reading about it too, is it's intergenerational. Yeah. I mean, it probably spans three generations. You know, it's my kids, my parents and me. I mean, for me, I think a good song is a good song. So it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what genre or era something comes from, you know, but I will say that like putting the album together, I wanted to make sure that the production had like a timeless quality. So there was definitely nods to the past, but also it was current. Did you choose the songs? Did the songs choose you? Was it hard to get rights or you had a lot of? There's actually, you don't really need rights to perform a song. The original composers of the song they make the money on it mm -hmm. uh, publishing it's just how it works um you don't need to ask permission every once in a while some artists ever, like occasionally have restrictions but it's not very common so yeah it was it was a long list that slowly got whittled down i was like okay oh, is that your favorite or did, did you yeah did you I, there was definitely some suggestions from the label and the team as well um that are on there that i love so yeah it's just like it was a long list, but we narrowed it down based on some criteria of like, okay, what can I do with this? Can I really make it different? Can I inject it with extra drama? And can I relate to it? Can it be something that I would maybe say, write myself? You know, is this something that, that I can relate to with my real life? So that was the, that was the criteria. So talk about Queen. Are you still touring with Queen? Yeah, that's an ongoing thing. It's, we've been doing it for 10 years. It's amazing. It's, it's been like such a blessing, you know, it's. Did you love now growing up? I mean, you're a little, you know, that was a little retro for you. But for sure. And I think I, you know, I've like most people have heard like the big, big hits just being at like events, you know, like we will rock you at the stadium or, you know, another invites the dust or like these big iconic songs that you kind of know, even before you know who sang them. I think that was my experience with queen like I had heard Freddie Mercury's voice for years, but didn't know what his name was, you know? And yeah. then my early twenties, I started getting really into like diving back into the past and listening to all these, you know, bands. And, you know, I kind of had that fantasy of being a rock star and I started, you know, becoming obsessed with rock stars. And now you're like, you're, you get to be a rock star. I mean, you're a rock star in your own <laughs> right. You're a rock star with the most iconic, one of the most iconic bands of time. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I am when the imposter syndrome isn't kicking my ass. Oh, God. I mean, it even kicks yours, really? <laughs> I mean, I can be an imposter syndrome. You can't. I mean, you know, it happens to everybody. I tell you, I, I do the best I can, but we all have our, our shit. So what is your favorite Queen song to perform? I don't know. I, there's a few that I like. It kind of depends on the mood. I, I think Another One Bites the Dust is a badass song. That was, I, I mean, think, growing up, that was, and I grew up in the South. That's a, that's a great record. It was, you know. Yeah. Was, Every time we do it, it's like really silly. So I have fun with that one. I have fun with Show Must Go On is like a real tour de force. That one's hard, but rewarding. <laughs> yeah, I love them all. And what, what, which one is the most challenging that you? So, Show Must Go On has some depth to it. And Who Wants to Live Forever, sort of the two big, grand power ballad moments are probably the harder ones for me. And 
when you started performing with Queen, I mean, are you are you trying to channel any Freddie Mercury? Are you all Adam Lambert? Who are you? I'm, I'm me. I mean, I do it as me. I think I think I was really careful to like find a balance between honoring the original records and then, but not mimicking. And that balance took a second to figure out in the beginning, but luckily Brian and Roger were really like open and supportive. So it, it that felt- have been hard. I mean, that you were stepping into some huge shoes. Did, did that take courage or you were just- Yeah, no, I was definitely a little intimidated for sure. For sure. You know, I tried not to let it show when I was on stage, but you know, in the back of my head, I was like, this is kind of a big deal. <laughs> Did you, you know? wa- and, um, did you watch the movie? And what did you think? I did, yeah. I'm in it for half a second. Are you? Yeah. So technically that was my first movie, but I didn't have any dialogue or character name or anything. I'm I'm the trucker at the rest stop that sort of cruises Freddie to go to, into the bathroom with him. Oh, how great. Wow. You I literally I'll rewatch it to be able to have, you know, again, in my Adam Lambert stalker. <laughs> I, you know, I was really happy that they gave me that part because, you know, I know a lot about trucking and, <laughs> you know, it I was know it, a lot about trucking. No, I'm, I'm joking. It was, it, <laughs> what? It was so I actually was believing it. Like, well, you know, I did that too. Well, you know, you know, method. Acting. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So what is next for you? What do you want to do? I'm going to keep making music for sure. Um, and performing hundred percent. But like I said, I just want to just continue to get involved in creative projects. I love it. I love throwing a bunch of ideas at the wall with people and seeing what sticks. I mean, I just like the process. You know, and also you just did an independent, a very successful, well, it's going to be a very successful independent film. It got into Sundance. Do you, you know, everyone's talking about this demise of independent film, that it's hard, you know, distributing is hard. When you were shooting, did you, I mean, was it what you thought it would be? Was it not what you thought it would be? Was it more scrappy than you thought it would be? Talk about that experience a little bit. Music industry, we make music videos for like $12. So <laughs> I'm you used to... Scra- you know, scrappy. Yeah, I'm used to sort of winging it. I, and I, I like that style of work. I think sometimes it can... You know, I've done other productions that are like full-on productions and certain film things that are full out. And sometimes it just gets a little precious, you know? Um, you know, there, I, obviously we have our unions and we love them and they're taking care of everybody, but there's just a lot of like red tape and all this stuff. So doing something a little more casually, I think is kind of nice. And how did that compare? Cause you were you know, doing the Freddie Mercury movie. That was a big budget, big giant. What was that like? To, to that, I mean, I was on set for four hours total, but, yeah, but, uh, actually, you know, you, but I got to, we got to see it. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. that was like, full-on motion picture. So that's like a much bigger scale production. What was going through your head when you're doing it? You're like living it. You're living in the present. You're living in the present. You're tell me. Well, I was was in London and I was there actually like doing some work stuff like with Queen. So it was sort of just a a natural, hey, go go be in our movie for, for five minutes. I was very excited to just be a part of it for a minute. I think that was what was going through my head was, are you sure that we shouldn't film a scene inside the bathroom where we get to get a little racier, but that wasn't part of the, uh, the script. So <laughs> they weren't taking, they weren't taking your notes. <laughs> no, I thought let's go there. Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Could you just get in the truck? <laughs> <laughs> just get, just do it all with your eyes. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I <will take. laughs> and I want to talk also a little bit about you do such great work for cause. 
you really seem to, and that's why I think your your when you, your words, I don't even say speech, because it was more than a speech when you accepted your award. It was you brought. It was like we were all sitting in your living room. Oh, and 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 hearing about why you do it. It was so inspirational. So, why do you care? Why do you do cause? It's a good question. I mean, I think when I first auditioned for Idol and came off the show having done well. I didn't, that, my intention was never, okay, I want to get signed to a record label so I can become an activist. That was never like the, the roadmap I saw in front of me, but very quickly realized that me getting signed to a label and putting out music on the radio and everything was sort of an act of rebellion anyway in itself. And there were people looking at me to kind of see how I handled it and what I said and how I represented the community. And at first it kind of, it kind of freaked me out. Cause I thought, well, that's not, I'm not, a, I'm a singer. I'm not, this isn't, I'm not like, this isn't who I am, mm-hmm. but started really realizing how much I cared, how much I cared about all this stuff, because all of a sudden I was sort of being confronted with the ignorance and homophobia of parts of our country and the rest of the world and in a way that I hadn't really experienced in LA. And so, I don't know, it just became very clear to me how much work needed to be done for the greater good. And I just dug in where I could, you know? And I think over the years I, I did like, I'm kind of moonlighted with different charities and did certain initiatives. And then it just came time to take it to the next level and start my own foundation, which is the Feel Something Foundation to raise money and funds for things for raising visibility for certain issues. Uh, We partner with uh, existing organizations to kind of shed light. One of my favorite things that we've done is the the Rady Center at San Diego Children's Hospital. And that is a center for gender affirming care. And we kind of, that's for young trans people and their families to come and have medical supervision and support. And I think it was really interesting because I hadn't really heard of anything like that before. And I went down there and visited with them and got to understand this, the, their program and learned about it. And it would just seemed so to make so much sense to me. And if everything that I, I heard and saw, I was like, this is really important. Um, not only for trans people, but also their, their parents, you know, who are trying to navigate this with them. And then, you know, you, I think maybe eight months, nine months later, you start hearing about, you know, in different States, how there's this like, ban on gender affirming care. And in Texas, there's, they were saying, you know, if, you know, if there's a parent of a trans kid in a program like this, they should be reported for child abuse and all this like crazy pushback. And, you know, I think it's, it, it just made me realize like how important and how fast things are moving along and how uh, vital it is for people in the community and allies outside of the community to like get, information on what's going on and it's time to help it's time to support it is i mean i don't know if i mean i think you spoke about this a little bit about the homophobia backlash that you endured during american idol in 2009 and how it it did spark a confidence in you i mean do you think yeah I, i think i think i've always been kind of the type of person i'm very opinionated and I am not afraid yeah. to take the unpopular <laughs> opinion. I'll, I'll, I'll dig my heels in and I love a debate. And I think once I was in the middle of it, I just, I couldn't help myself from 
speaking my mind and sticking up for myself, you know? Well, was there, after, so it was 2009, was there a big backlash? Not on Idol, not really on Idol. I mean, I think there was sort of water cooler conversation of the like, is he or isn't he all of a sudden, you know? Cause I, it, it was so funny to me because I, I was out from the time I was 18 um, and wasn't super private or anything. I was always really open. So was it, was it easy, hard, or is it, was it a non-issue? It wasn't an issue for me. I was like, just doing my thing, you know, never in the interview package of American Idol where they asking me who I was sleeping with. So I just, it didn't come up, you know, and I, especially at that time, identity politics weren't quite as expected as part of your yeah. presentation as they are now. I think now it's like, sort of like, it comes with being a public figure kind of automatically. But back then, you know, it was like a new moment. You know, we were part of that wave of, of, of celebrities that were, you know, coming out and being vocal. And so I, it, it didn't really come up on the show until all of a sudden I start seeing, you know, articles written about, is he gay? Is he not gay? And I'm like, oh, Lord, this is so funny because, yeah, I'm gay. Like, but like, I've been gay this whole time. And, you know, there were pictures that that somebody pulled off of an old, like, social social networking site that was me and my my ex-boyfriend making out and it was just so funny to me because it was like i didn't realize how much of a fuss it would be because i was living in the bubble of west hollywood you know i wasn't dealing with a bunch of people that just didn't get it you know um and so yeah it was definitely an eye-opener and and then you know while you're on idol you can't do any interviews you can't do any press facing stuff on your own you have to kind of it all has to be yeah. sanctioned you know they're trying to keep everybody on level playing field um at least at that point on the show and so once the show was over i you know i got signed to a label and had a management company and a publicist and i was ready to go out there and talk and I, that's they're talking about it I, it's just great because you know, I always say this with, you know, with the Creative Coalition stands for, it's about advocacy, it's about citizenship, it's about taking things on that probably half your fans won't like. And that's, I think, a lot of courage. And and it's not great for your day job. At, at that time, I think at that point in 2009, it was tricky because a lot of the people that had sort of gotten on board was because of Idol. And you had this sort of mainstream middle American audience and yeah, yeah, coming, yeah, like there was a lot of those people that didn't understand that or didn't under didn't know to look for the signs or weren't ready for it. Um, and some of them felt betrayed, which I thought was funny. I was like, "What? Well, I'm not cheating on you. Um, what? And even then, so it was 2009. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but did, wasn't there something with network television getting all yeah. that out of sex? Yeah, <laughs> for TV. Our television got out of shape. <laughs> Sorry, I'm amusing myself. <laughs> Wasn't there something with the ABC? And what happened there? What was your personal? Was there an uh, answer for the, you? Or you just were like, this is an issue for me. American Music Awards. I, I kind of did a stunt. I was singing my first single, which was called For Your Entertainment. It was sexy lyrics about like, you know, uh, did you know what you got into? And, uh, you know, I'm not who you think I am and all this kind of cheeky, flirty kind of stuff. And I acted it out on stage and I kissed a band member and I groped a dancer. And, you know, I was doing the kind of performance that I 
you know, seen a hundred million times on TV, but because I was a gay guy doing it, it, it people weren't happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was just thinking about this when you were saying kiss to dancer growth. This time. I wonder if now in this, our weird cancel culture, does that well, kind of- 10 years, I think, or 12 years for somebody on a mainstream level to do a award show performance like that. And that was Lil Nas X recently. I was just like last right. year. It was the first time I remember in, on American TV seeing a, an award show performance where there was like guy on guy action. And by action, I mean a smooch, which is not, that's the whole double I was dealing with is I was like, wait a minute, we're not doing anything lewd. But the problem was is that the conservatives that were offended were feeling like two men kissing is lewd. That is lewd. That's inappropriate. What about the children? And it's like, well, but men and women kiss. So and, and I, I remember saying on TV and defending myself. I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it almost is ridiculous that you even defend. That's why I was asking, did you defend yourself or did you just be like, I, I'm oh, yeah, I, I don't know. There are people calling in from like a parent, a parent group, you know, Christian Parents Association or something. And I said, look, you know. I'm not a babysitter. That's not what I'm doing on TV at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night doing a pop performance. I'm not here to like, I'm not well, your. Let's pr- talk about your parenting, having your kids up at 10. Yeah, <laughs> not my problem. Yeah, exactly. And then circling back to this album that's been, you've been dropping singles. Where do we find it? Uh, well, it's streaming everywhere. It's, as so a- funny. it's like, you're supposed to say that the pot, you're probably, you know, like, where do we find it? It's like, well, I do live in this world and I know that I'm not going yeah. over to the, the local record store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they give us, they give obviously- us these questions. Where do we find it? Yeah. Streaming as of February 24th on all major platforms. And then, um, if you want a physical version of it, a CD or a vinyl, you can get it on my website. Uh, just so we shouldn't. So I shouldn't send people to Tower Records, right? Yeah, I don't think they exist anymore. Yeah, <laughs> and then they can get their video at Blockbuster. Yeah, right. <laughs> Make a night out of it. Get your American Idol video at Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode of Hollywood at Home with the Creative Coalition featuring Adam Lambert. For more information about the Creative Coalition, visit our website at thecreativecoalition.org or visit our social media. That's at the Creative Coalition on TikTok and Instagram and at the Creative C on Twitter.